everybody. Welcome back to Super Kicks and Thigh Slaps. This is episode number two, where we finish the finest thunder, and really the only thunder worth watching in wrestling history. Again, I am Garrett, and I'm here with my man, Steve. Hello. And uh, Steve, we've had a little bit of time to recover from the first half, well, the first three quarters of Thunder. Are you ready for the home stretch? I mean, to the extent where anyone can be ready for this, <laughs> I am. <laughs> well, the nice part is that we have uh, two, three matches, air quotes. <laughs> so. <laughs> We got that going for us. Um, but this is where, this is really where the ugly, ugly parts of WCW hang out right here. Basically, there's not a real finish on the rest of the show. <laughs> well, that's not I can't true. Wait. That's not true. The, the, the first match we're going to talk about after this awesome interview section uh, segment is does actually I believe have a real ending, but it's not even worth re realizing whether it does or not. But we'll get there. The other thing that we'll try to do really quickly if we've got enough time at the end is get our first entrance into the S N T S Hall of Fame. <laughs> I could not think of the <laughs> letters for that. So that I seriously was like, is it STP? What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> That's sigh. <laughs> so when we left off, we left off with Juventude, El Juice, winning the Cruiserweight Championship against the Ultimate Dragon. The best wrestler to ever exist. With a mask. Uh, is he? Oh. I mean, except for Rey Mysterio, I guess. And, you know. And who? I believe there was a man by the name of, uh, what's his name? Well, this guy was a mask, because Abe Nakubal Schwartz just had face paint, so. <laughs> yes, right, that's I'll right. give you that. Did he, have, he had face paint yeah. and a hat. Like a. Yes. Did he have like the same hat that the Brooklyn Brawler would wear? Am I thinking of that right? I mean, he might have, but why? Well, they have nothing to do with each other. Well, I mean, that's a good point. Maybe he just liked his fashion sense. Hmm, that's a possibility. <laughs> oh. Man, mass wrestlers. What a what a weird history. I watched the this is a total sidebar. We don't have time for it, but I'm gonna go into it anyway. Uh, the great Suzuki's daughter, I believe, posted a documentary. Uh, it's one of those documentaries though that the family signs off of, so it's good, but it's not as good as it could be. But it was still super interesting. I think the most interesting thing about him is that he wears a mask all the time, like a hundred percent of the time. You get in the shower? Yeah, like that's the one thing I was thinking about. I saw him put it on put his mask because he they watch him switch from his wrestling mask to his day to day mask and he does the slick little thing so you can't see it. And I'm like, he's got it. He probably takes it off the moment he steps in the shower, probably has got like a hook for it or something. And then he puts it back on the moment he crosses the threshold. So it just is like that's the only time. It's indeed interesting and dedication to one's craft. Exactly. I'm, I respect the heck out of the craftian uh, respect that he has for being. And he, he ran for, you know, he made parliament once. He ran for like a governor and he didn't make it. And he ran for parliament a second time and he didn't make it. And his wife is from Mexico City and speaks Spanish. Okay. So I'm just like, he's That's a world traveler. International. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. So his kids are unique, but they're not into wrestling, and they wish he'd stop. That I think that was in like 2011. So I hope by now, because he's 51 now, I think maybe he stopped. But the way that they portrayed him in the show, he's never going to stop until he dies. 
at that point, it turns sad. You can't let it go. Well, I was thinking, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, and this kind of comes into the Bret Hart part that we're going to get into. Um, but I was thinking, how would it be to be one of the best in the world at something, and have to stop before you're ready to stop? Like that's got to be a really hard mental hurdle to to go over. True. I mean, I hope we never have to find that out that before our thunder run ends. <laughs> Well, I think we might be the best podcast in the world to talk about Thunder at this point. So we might have to realize that uh, at some point. Please something for when we don't have uh, the longest Thunder in the history of our great sport. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, people will probably listen to this more if it's not going to be a total of five hours. But I mean... I, I guess as we get going, it might be less crazy. This just had so many jumps and switches and stuff, and I'm hoping that future Thunders have like an actual or an actual show and not recaps of everything in the universe. But uh, who knows? We'll say that being twenty some odd years removed, it's nice to get the recaps and be situated a bit in moderation. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Speaking of, let's talk about the first part of our Thunder Return, which is Mike Tanay, who was already in the ring because Hoovy did not was not allowed to celebrate his winning of the Cruiserweight Championship. So that he could talk and bring to the ring Brett the Hitman Hart. Legend. Legend. And in this very unique interview. Bret Hart comes out. <laughs> My first note is that his boots were really nice, and they were. I, re- I made sure I just rewatched a bunch of this real quick before we started. His boots were slick. They're not for wrestling, but they didn't really want Bret Hart to wrestle, apparently, so he could just come out with nice boots. The one this thing. point in time, sorry, he's still a good guy. At this point in time, he's still a good guy. Yes, he he's still like trying to protect WCW from the evil ownership that's trying to screw them or whatever that plan is. Which um, obviously leads to this confrontation with Nature Boy Ric Flair. Obviously, because the Nature Boy really wants to come out and talk about. I'm sure is let's talk about your part in the World Championship. No, he doesn't want to talk about that at all. No, sorry, everybody. Ric Flair does not currently give a shit about what's going on with any of that other craziness. Well, that's not true. He does mention either on this this one or the other one about how Sting's got the title and he's looking forward to eventually he's going to get in line. But this is more pressing in, in news. And quite honestly, it is more pressing. It should be way bigger than it is. The other thing I notice about Bret Hart is that they, because WCW wanted to be more realism based, they had him come out just like a guy shopping at the mall with a jacket. Oh. You know what I mean? No, what the deep do you mean? It's Bret Hart. Yeah, but he doesn't, he's like, doesn't have any gear. He doesn't have any, he's just got a brown shirt and some jeans and those kicking boots. And the only pink he's even got is in the, in the hitman on the back of the jacket. I was, I was like, I wonder if W WWF owned the pink, (laughs) which doesn't make any sense, but so my man comes out. To Tanay, Hart comes out and says, and he doesn't really give off any bit of care. He does not seem like he gives a crap about any of this at this point yet. But he comes out and he talks about how many WWF championships he's won. And I, I realize that that's like the fourth or fifth time they talked about it, which is, this seems really strange to me. It's not as important. He won championships in the other promotion. They give it. A little bit of weight, but it's almost more insulting than to have not talked about it, you know? Because the the amount of title reigns is one of the silliest things, because it's just like, okay, you, you want a title, you could have won it for one day, like, 
okay, great. But that's another conversation for another time. But they're like, it's five to 13. Like, well, how many, how many times did you win, win the title over Hulk Hogan, for example, uh, Ric Flair, like calm down with all that. There was a different situation in the other federation, but I guess we can't talk about that except just to note that the other federation exists. So five is much less than 13. <laughs> that, that is that is patently mathematically true, and that's the only thing we can say about it. We've got the math. <laughs> so Bret Hart talks, and he says, basically, I'm not trying to insult anybody when I say I'm the best there is, the best there was, or best there ever will be. But some people are going to be insulted by that, and I guess they can they can suck it. And I don't whoa, know. Who- whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Are we editorializing here? No, I, I just was trying to read his mind about that. I was just uh, trying to say uh, what, what was behind the words there. <laughs> but he doesn't. My favorite part is like, even though I had this same conversation a few days ago, I'm not going to mention the one person who I know will have a problem with this because I guess he'll just show up and voila, <laughs> out comes the nature boy, Ric Flair. I think I mentioned this before, but it's funny that Mean Gene gets a break for Thunder. He doesn't have to work any Thursdays, at least in this one. Sure, we got to get the show a different vibe. Well, sure. It's got to be, it gets, you know, Mike Tanay gets a bigger paycheck. Good for him. He deserves it. So Flair comes out and Hart sounds actually very reasonable in this conversation. Like, hey, I'm not, you know, I'm, this is not about insulting you. It's just I believe that I'm the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And Ric Flair says something like, dude, guys have end up in body bags for saying stuff like that to my face. Which makes me laugh because in two confrontations, besides grabbing him by the arm, he doesn't touch him. The leader of the four horsemen, Ric Flair. Literal murderer. He literally, like, like, if this was... You know, road war, war road warrior animal. He'd be bloodied out in the parking lot. But the one guy who's done this more and bigger than anybody gets kind of a pass, which is hilarious. But it's fine. Brett wasn't in his fighting clothes anyway, I guess. So that's why you do it. So that's the, the gist of it. Is is exactly the same as what they did on Nitro, which I'll note they showed on this show. So they didn't need to do this at all. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and it's also funny to note that this is a B story to like Zabisco and Hall. So it's intertwined. It was a rich tapestry. But- <laughs> yes. I mean, it is part of a flowing story that ends with sadness. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's that. It was a, pretty much a waste of time. Again, it should be the biggest angle that there had been at the time, besides Hogan and Sting, and it just was a dud, alas. So we get into our match, our next match, which is... Oh, wait, that's it? That's it. What, what, what happened? Oh, they they talked back and forth about how one of them was the best and Flair took his jacket off and escalated about how he needs to kick his butt for it. And Bret Hart said, well, I guess I'm going to have to face you and we're going to have to find out. And then Flair grabbed him by the arm again, just like he grabbed him by the arm nitro. And then Bret Hart left the ring and Flair was just standing there looking at him angrily. Hmm. Right. It really was not even cool. worth mentioning, quite honestly. Well, we have to look for our listeners. I mean, I'm sure one or two were really on the edge of their seats. <laughs> right. Right. As a matter of fact, I might just cut this out and just copy and paste what we said on the first show. <laughs> I think that'd be a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I believe that, well, no, it's not the last time we see our hero 
Brett the Hitman Hart, but almost the last time we see our hero, Brett the Hitman Hart. Canadian for the, hero. For the sixth time on the show, maybe? <laughs> oh. So, now we can get to the feature match of the second half of Thunder, because it's the only one with a real ending. Scott Norton, Vicious, versus Flexum, Flexum Man, Chicken Dance, Lex Luger. Chicken Dance, you say? Yeah, that's that's what the fans get all excited about, is when Lex does the chicken dance, you know that business is about mm-hmm. to pick up. Quite, quite. <laughs> he's, he's doing the chicken dance. That's right. <laughs> like, if you were coming out of a coma and you'd never watched it before and somebody was playing that, they would just be like, why is that muscling man doing the chicken dance? Why is everyone cheering for him? And that's what he's doing. So, Scott Norton comes out, who is a legitimate badass, like... Maybe not quite Ming and Barbarian legitimate badass, but right there, real close. Luger comes out, and you've seen Luger a couple times tonight with his weird hair. Gosh, I hated Luger's hair so much. It was just this floppy ponytail. Just the worst. The worst. I didn't really make a lot of notes in this match, even though I rewatched it. It's some good, decent brawling for a while. They go outside and they brawl. Very much was fine. Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. Buff Bagwell shows up for a second to stand up on the apron and just gets punched in the head and falls away. And then he just almost disappears from existence after that. Like he was like, I'm going to stand up on the apron. He gets punched in the head. He wasn't a match earlier, so that's an excuse. But he gets punched in the head and he's just done. He's like, that was all that I came out here to do. The most important thing that happens before the finish is Scott Norton hits the shoulder breaker, which is his finish right now, his American finish. Now in Japan, he hit a nasty, nasty power bomb, but you can't do that as much in the United States. So he hit the shoulder breaker and Luger kicked out and Bobby Heenan and them were just like, oh my gosh, no one's ever kicked out of this, which I doubt was true, but maybe. But there's a particular word for it. And this is probably something noteworthy. Yes. Well, I mean, this is, I guess, probably the point where we can find out if this is where Luger actually gets to have uh, his, his career starts moving in a positive direction after kicking out of the shoulder breaker. He'll go on our list of gentlemen Chris Adams and mm. <laughs> the model Rick Martell. And Lex Luger. <laughs> That's a, now that would be quite a stable right there. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> if you watch your WCW top 10, they're right up there. Oh, man. I'd say we should do that, but I, I would seriously, I could probably sit here for an hour and just talk about that, but not from this show because there's only like eight <laughs> people involved in this whole show. You'd have to slot J.J. Dillon in the top <laughs> 10. <laughs> And I'd have to give the lawyer. The lawyer would be like nine. (laughs) (sighs) So match happens. Uh, He Luger hits his axe bomber type of forearmy situation, which is great. And the loaded forearm. Yes, the loaded forearm, which they mentioned it. I mean, I remember them mentioning it often in WWF, but I don't remember mentioning it at all in WCW. And they don't mention it here, I don't believe. I mean, he basically cheating every single match. Every single match, because he was in a motorcycle accident and had a metal plate in his arm, and that made his that part of his arm Wolverine, apparently, and concussed everyone. So then we, we do the chicken dance and lift up Scott Norton for the torture rack, which is very impressive. I think... You can see the star potential. <laughs> you can see that Lex Luger's going somewhere. <laughs> as of this moment. As of right now. Like before, he was just the loser that interfered in the great Chris Adams. And 
<laughs> Great Chris Adams. He was, a, he was a whining, complaining character, but he's <laughs> found himself. That's right. But now he is a fiery baby face question mark that uh, <laughs> gets to lift the guy up. So I believe they actually call the match, I think, but I don't remember. And I didn't keep track of it when I rewatched it. He may have actually officially won the match or he would have won it by DQ because Randy Savage comes running out to attack and he comes in the ring and Luger just drops Scott Norton on him, which looks like it could have been dangerous and nasty. <laughs> but just barely isn't. He just cushions him. They fall in a heap and then they run away. And they can only talk about Savage's arrival because they have to go to commercial for a second. They're like, it's Savage. Oh, he runs away. Okay, we're taking a commercial. And that was that. Perhaps they were just saying that they're running away with Savage. <laughs> they were uh, a few decades ahead of their time with the slang. Well... <laughs> They were definitely a few decades ahead of their time for something. Oh, really? Mostly it's... I don't know that there was a show that ever showed another show as much as this one has done in the history of our great sport fans. We use the show within a show, which just reminded me today, I watched uh, on YouTube the McBain clips that were on the television show The Simpsons. Oh, it's so good. All stitched, they were all stitched together into the full uh, movie within yeah. the show. Yeah, that was so good. In a, much, in a much more serious context, the graphic novel Watchmen has a sub-story about a sailor that tells this story in a little different way, and it's brilliant. Watchmen is one of the best art things ever made. If you've never read it and you're even a little bit into comic books, you should. But it's nothing like the Nitros and Starcades inside of Thunder. They had four shows, three shows oh. that they showed inside of this show. So you got four shows for the price of one. Right. Did we determine that they were recapping two Nitros on this show? I, I, was, I started to go back and look and then I didn't. I was like, you know, that sounds probably right. It's good enough for me. I, I guess and it's canon now. So. Yeah, we have made it so. One of our crack listeners can update us. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to commercial and we come back for the flashback to Starcade 1997. The icon... The Crow Sting versus Hollywood Hulk Hogan in the biggest match ever. Maybe the biggest wrestling match that there was at the time. Very hard one to argue against. That was a big one. In the history of WCW, it has to be the biggest. Oh, in the history of WCW, definitely. And maybe because WWF hadn't quite built up yet, I mean, the aftermath of the Montreal screwball, screwball, screwjob, <laughs> that's what I wanted to drink after it. Um, the aftermath made it big, but as far as like just a build match, oh, and Andre and Hogan, Andre and Hogan yeah. and this match and Ultimate Warrior and Hogan. Hogan is in all of them, the son of a gun. Um, I guess he was good at wrestling. I mean, not wrestling, but wrestling air quotes. But yeah, especially for WCW, besides the free television Hogan-Goldberg that they gave away later, probably the biggest match that WCW may ever have had. So, yeah, so this or the Villanos? Well, look, the, <laughs> the Villanos versus... Raven and Saturn, where they broke one of the Vianos' necks, was one of the most important matches in my life, but maybe not to everybody else. We can hotly debate. <laughs> For our press kit, I'll wear my Vianos mask, and then people can understand. 
So they showed the entire Larry Zbysko, Eric Bischoff match, mind you, from Starcade. However, they did not show this match in its to- in its totality for some unbelievable reason. I guess so. You would buy the replay, maybe. You're not buying it for the Zabisco match, I guess. Well, like, yeah, if you buy the replay, you can see the incredible Sting voiceover for his entrance. Oh, gosh. His entrance was so good. Everything about, look, I think I, there's different wrestlers I liked and didn't like for different reasons. But as a character, I popped for nobody as much as I popped for Crow Sting. It was just incredible. And that was a Scott Hall invention, Crow Sting, which, again, probably puts him on the yes. list as the best overall wrestler on this damn show. Hmm. You know what? I'll concede that. <laughs> I mean, considering his work that he did, plus inventing Crow Sting, I mean, that's it. That's 100%. I, think I mean... I- you could say you could say he invented Crosby when he went, "Hey yo, you know that movie, The Crow?" <laughs> well, man, just paint your face like that. I mean, yes, I guess I the did. Crow invented Crow Sting ultimately, but <laughs> he he was so into pop culture that he understood that he had a lot of choices. He had probably Batman Sting. He had, you know, know, Ninja Ninja Sting. Well, I mean, Eric Bischoff would have liked Ninja, but we haven't gotten to Blood Runs Cold yet, so let's hold off on that. Are we in the era of Blood Runs Cold, or was that too late? Uh, I think Blood Runs Cold... Well, Well, let's see. So, Mortis comes out a little later. I'm not going to spoil it. So... Maybe it's about to start. I think Mortis was already there. I can't remember when all the ninja fighters showed up. Uh, but we might be – we're somewhere in there or it's just past. But I don't think it's past because he did work with uh, like Ernest Miller who's not on the show yet. So I think it's coming still. Blood still has a chance to run. That's right. <laughs> That's right. All right. In honor of Sting's entrance, I shall now perform – the voiceover. Oh, I'm excited. I'm ready. When a man's heart is full of deceit, it burns up, dies, and a dark shadow falls over his soul. From the ashes of a once great man has arisen a curse, a wrong that must be righted. We look to the skies for a vindicator, someone to strike fear into the black heart of the same man who created him. The battle between good and evil has begun. Against an army of shadows lies a dark warrior, the purveyor of good, with a voice of silence and a mission of justice. This is Sting. Wow. 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 That's so good. Man, that was so good. Thank you. Thank you. And just to note, this was not played on Thunder. No, it was not. They they cut right past all that. We're just giving you that as a treat because maybe they'll never play it on Thunder, actually. Oh, no. No, no, no. Don't say that. <laughs> so did, so was that the point when Sting was doing it or did the kid little kid do it? I believe that was a little kid. Oh, the little kid was so creepy. It was so good. <laughs> oh, it was so good. It's right in. Oh. So good. Oh man, that was great. So, so that leads us into this fine match where they just cut. It's brawling. It's Hogan. It's you know late era Hogan style where it's just brawling and stalling and you know rakes and little outside ring and a little inside the ring. Right. This is not Japan Hulk Hogan or he's throwing enzigiris. Yeah. No. No. This is just your standard Hulk Hogan. So they get to the point where. Hogan finally gets Sting down and set up for the big stinky leg drop, the atomic leg drop. Does that leg drop have an official name? I've always called it the atomic leg drop, but I don't know what its real actual name is. Now that I'm thinking about it, atomic leg drop 
feels right, but it doesn't feel official either. I'm yeah. not sure. Uh, I think people just think, like leg drop. Yeah, he hits the leg drop, I guess. Yeah. That's what they called it when he hit it in this match. No, I think they said the big leg drop, unlike Hogan's tiny leg drops that he likes to do. <laughs> His baby leg drops, uh, snap leg drops that he usually does. This one is the big leg drop. <laughs> the medium leg drop. Or the, well, look, we that's that's his that's his Japan big match finisher, the medium leg drop. Oh yeah. He doesn't run, he just stands there and does it. <laughs> he just sits down. <laughs> So he goes for the pin. Now, the pin is a standard. Uh, maybe I think he hooks both legs, but it's a standard pin. <laughs> and if he takes his time, he reads a book. Yeah, he. It's a standard pin. You know, he poses and he hits the leg drop and he rolls them over. He does the standard pin, and Nick Patrick counts one, two, three, and Sting doesn't kick out. Because I guess Sting was not expecting to, because he was expecting it to be a fast count, so that's why he didn't kick out. And so that's the match. That that's it. Hogan wins with a one, two, three. Sting is done. That's it. Game over. Let's end the Starcade and move on to the next thing. But no. But wait. I believe the crowd is confused at this point. Yes, because <laughs> because. If anyone should have won this match, no matter what freaking shape he's in, with no confusion, it is Sting. There's no other time in history that I've been so sure that this was wrong by all parties, that a match end was wrong by all parties, than this match at this time. Except for when Goldberg gets tased, but we'll cover that later, I'm sure. So... Sting gets pinned clean on a normal count, but the bell doesn't ring because, oh my gosh, Bret the Hitman Hart is out there because I guess he knew the possibility that Sting would get screwed is in play. That's not unreasonable, I guess, considering everything else that happened in Starcade. Wait, wait. So are you trying to say that Bret Hart wouldn't have a reason to be out there? Um, I just mean that Bret Hart, as a already... Uh, christened official for the night knew that he had some, because of his status and title, he had some important need to make sure that everything hand was handled by the book. See, I like to think that he was there as an understudy to Nick Patrick to learn <laughs> the fine arts of refereeing. <laughs> well, I mean... Nick Patrick with his beautiful 70s porn star hair, that could be true. And I'm not going to discount his ability to just say, look, WCW is going to use me for, as a referee a lot. I might as well make sure I know what's going on. That's fair. I may have been a five-time WWF champion, but I could be better used to the referee. <laughs> I could be the referee for all important NWO versus WCW matches that ever happen. Which is, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's why he's in his street clothes. <laughs> so I did some research on this match ending, this first match ending, and Nick Patrick basically says he got told two different things. He got told, do the regular count and do the fast count. And no one would come to him and tell him which one he needed to do. So he decided on the fast count. Wait, what? <laughs> he said that no one would tell him which one he needed to do. So he picked uh -huh. he picked the normal count instead of the fast count. Because he said the Sorry. fast count. Sorry. Yeah, he decided not to do the fast count. He decided to do the standard count. Unless he was having a brain aneurysm and that was what he thought was a fast count. He decided to do... That one, he said. Um, I take umbrage with that. I think every rational thinking human being <laughs> knew would. I think I'm with that being a cover story. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what the heck? Yeah. 
you know what, I'm going to flip this coin for the biggest match in history (laughs) and just, you know, kind of freestyle it. Yes. So Eric Bischoff says that he left it up to, like, the writers and the match people and the wrestlers to coordinate that with Nick. He didn't want to really be part of the communication, he says. Again, the very biggest match in the history of WCW at the time. And he was like, meh, go take care of it, Nick. It's fine. Whatever you want. Yeah, like someone will come up with a finish. Yeah, someone will. But at a different time, he said that Hogan and himself thought that Sting wasn't in good shape, hadn't been taking care of himself, wasn't into it, was a little out of it. And they made the call. So he's already discounted his own story before. That led to the infamous Conrad Thompson rant about Sting not having a tan being the reason right. <laughs> to lose the match. Wow, and he went after Bischoff on that 80, 83 weeks. He went after him. like With good reason. With good reason, yeah. yeah. I'm glad he had the ability to, you know, like Eric took it. But Eric said, you know, at the end, Eric's like, yeah, I, I mean, I screwed it up. What? <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Okay, so that was the really bad decision. It was just bad. I suspect Hogan told Bischoff, look, I, I, I don't think I should lose it in this way. Actually, I don't, I would be willing to bet that Bischoff may not even really been involved. And he told Nick Patrick, look, Nick, this is what we're going to do. Just do it this way. And Nick said, I like my job. And so that's what he did. <laughs> So we Doesn't do work for me, brother. Yeah, yeah. This is not work for me, brother. It's fine. He'll get his heat back. Just, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> <sighs> so sad. So, but, but our great in Canadian enforcer Bret Hart punches Nick Patrick out when Nick Patrick argues about it, and he gets in the ring and he restarts the match, a match that had no had a regular actual ending he restarts the match so you see he was screaming not gonna let this happen again yes that's right that's a good good note that he was like screw job will not happen to another fine sharpshootering wrestler if I can help it (laughs) oh right I I thought (laughs) I mean I thought he meant that I will not allow another three count to happen I didn't have one in the disco match, and I won't have one now. That's right. That's right. He's like, listen, no match is going to end correctly it, it, on my jo- on my watch. Damn it! Heck no. <laughs> so, uh, Bret Hart he gets in the ring and he restarts the match, and Hogan begs off, and Sting just absolutely beats the crap out of him. Sting points at Bret right before he puts. Hogan in the Scorpion Deathlock, I guess, to tell him, you make sure that this ends the match actually. <laughs> and look at me do your move. And also watch me do your move, which you also should be mad about, but I guess because you're in ref mode, you don't care about that right now. It's the second time on this show we've seen somebody do somebody else's <laughs> finishing move. <laughs> oh, boy, WCW, man alive. So. Then Hogan, I think, actually taps, which I was almost surprised about. I thought Hogan would have done, like, the pass out. He was just not going to give anything. But I think he actually taps. Brett calls for the bell. And Sting is the world champion. So, it was wild. Yep. The crowd loses their mind. The crowd is just like, we don't know what that whole first thing was. We don't care. The guy who should have won, won, which is everything that you should have, they should have known there. Yes. But we're going to find out in a moment they didn't learn from that at all for whatever reason. Well, because it's Hogan. I mean, Hogan is the reason. But uh, so everyone starts coming out from WCW, including I noted when I rewatched this, Louis Spicoli is out there. He's one of the first guys to be out there to celebrate with Sting winning the title. Oh, you mean the innovator of the Death Valley Driver? Yes, I, that, wow. that is the that is the one man. Like he's almost too big to have come out here for this, but he did anyway. He's giving this thing what they call the rub. <laughs> That's right. Like, look, kid, you're doing a good job. 
takes on my star power stinger. <laughs> so everyone comes out, including Mortis. Mortis is out there, which is the uh, weirdest thing to me. But I, they're WCW, and so WCW has a show out, which also ruins. Like, look, you had a fairy tale ending right there. Sting wins clean. Or even if you want Bret Hart to to come in, the smartest thing to do would be to have Hogan put Sting in the Scorpion Death. Like now Hogan couldn't do it. He would have screwed it up. <laughs> I'm laughing picture again. But even just him putting his, his leg up and stepping through to start it would have been great. For Brett to be like, no, this isn't going to happen. He punches out Nick Patrick. You know, he pushes Hogan or something. And then he lets it re-go. And then Sting wins. And so then you tie to the screw job. Sting just wins clean. And then you have the big celebration. And then you can do all of the stupid stuff you're about to see later still. But you give the fans the big face victory that they deserve. I mean, you could also skip all the stupid stuff. (laughs) Look, you can't. Look, I, I thought about that as I was saying this, but you you know as well as I do that you can't actually skip the stupid stuff. The stupid stuff had to happen. We're here for the stupid stuff. <laughs> okay, so the announcers don't even can't even discuss the fast count correctly because they, of course, realize that it wasn't a fast count. They're just like, we don't we don't really know what happened, so we're not really going to talk about it. They just pretend that this is valid <laughs> and he's the champion, <laughs> and that's it. <sighs> so we cut to the booth back in Thunder. We get our 40 seconds of Thunder before we go to another flashback. And the guys right. talk about fines, and they talk about how it's important that, you know, uh, Brain is like, yes, they should. They should be making sure there's more control here and because they're talking about the riot, the near riot slash riot that we're about to see time, (laughs) which, uh, you know, now that I've watched it a couple of times, the bloodiest battle in WCW history. (laughs) It's not true. I'm sorry. So we cut to ladies and gentlemen, cut to our last flashback of this godforsaken show. Most important one. We go to the flashback of the Nitro Before Thunder, which is again Hogan versus Sting. We, of course, join it in progress. This is the rematch because they at least determined that Sting rightfully was the title holder. And so Hogan was going to get his rematch. There's okay, wait. This is not the Nitro Before Thunder. This is a Nitro the night after Starcade. Is it? Is, so do they... Is, uh, so did they do another? Wait, they did another nitro, but they still didn't show the ending of this nitro before the thunder. Because they keep saying you're only going to be able to watch the end of this on thunder. So they did a whole nother nitro without showing what happened here. That is my belief. Yes, I will not double check that. But that is insane. The time, I mean, the date I have listed as nitro is December twenty ninth. 1997. And this Thunder is January 8th, 98. So they had another week. Maybe they didn't show a night. Maybe they had like a holiday break or something. Or they had a bowl game or something to where they didn't show a Nitro. Because if they did, I can't even imagine how bad that Nitro could have been to not show what happened at the end of this and still have a three-hour show. (laughs) Could you imagine that Nitro... Oh. Can you imagine just JJ and lawyers and oh my Turner execs deliberating oh over gosh. showing these results? Oh my gosh. Oh, okay. Um, well, uh, so the the last Nitro that they were going to show us the title before we get to Thunder happens and that is this Hogan versus Sting match which we join in progress. Tony Schiavone says the tape machines were rolling <laughs> because normally nah <laughs> so Sting so I, I don't remember what happens before this but we get to a point where Sting actually dodges the leg drop 
rolls out of the way leg drop. of the medium leg drop because it didn't hit. That has to be the medium. Ah, uh, understood. Understood. <laughs> and we get the we are out of time. Fans ref bump where Hogan pulls, I believe, Randy Anderson into Sting as he's doing the Stinger splash. So mind you, this is the rematch of the biggest match ever that they didn't finish after a ref bump. That's right. So Sting somehow gets control back after this happens. And I believe he's setting up or he just puts Hogan into the Scorpion Deathlock when Nick Patrick appears from the crowd or somewhere and climbs up to the apron to distract Sting. So Sting pulls his 70 porn star behind into the ring. (laughs) And oh wow, what happened? He pulls him into the ring and oh, okay. He pulls him into the ring Randy Anderson is still is still out and Hogan man I cannot remember exactly what happened I'm so mixed up between the Starcade and there but somehow oh okay that's right while while Nick Patrick is in the ring Hogan somehow gets the pin gets a pin or a tap out I think he gets a pin maybe he hits the leg drop again and gets the pin from Nick Patrick calling the pin Hogan rolls Sting up. Oh, that's right. And, and he pulls Nick, the tights. Nick Patrick, Nick Patrick, yeah, counts him. But it's another regular three counts. That's right. That's right. He sits it's, up He sits up real high. <laughs> it's clean again. Yeah. Yeah. It's clean, but at least Hogan pulls the tights a little bit. You know, the, the Sting onesie. He pulls the tights. And um, the Sting Unicorn onesie. Yeah, the Sting Unicorn onesie. He pulls the tights. And so that's right. So Nick Patrick gets the three count. And I don't remember what happens to get Nick, Nick Patrick out of there after it. I don't know if Sting beats him up or what. But it's, at a certain point, Sting is like, this sucks. And he gets Hogan up and he just starts beating the crap out of him. He puts him, Stinger splashes him a couple of times. And eventually he, I believe, puts him in the Scorpion Deathlock again. And Randy Anderson is now two. And he doesn't know the match ended. And so then Hogan taps or whatever he does. And Randy Anderson calls the match over. Which is now the second time Hogan's been screwed. Which is now the second time that Hogan has had an actual regular, <laughs> regular referee's decision and been screwed out of it. So the announcers again don't know what's going on. At this point, we really could have used Bret Hart, the referee in training. I was, I was, I was surprised at first that Bret Hart wasn't involved, but I have in my notes Bret Hart showed back up again. Yes. Um, which we get to uh, because <laughs> because he so Sting wins the second fall and then the end of, <laughs> that was the only best way to put it and the fans are so hot still the fans still don't care as long as Sting wins that's all they care about and so the NWO comes out And it makes me laugh because the NWO is all out in their NWO colors and everything, except for Mr. Perfect, who doesn't have to have any NWO anything. He's just in his blue and black, just looking normal, which always made me laugh. And so they beat the mess out of Sting. And then Hogan gets up and Hogan is fine. Now, Hogan has been Stinger Splash like four times. He's been putting the Storpion Deadlock twice. But now he's fine. So Team WCW all starts to come back out to to defend after the NWO starts beating up Sting. And WCW comes out and they have this big, huge brawl. It's like Booker T shirtless with just some dress pants and uh, just craziness. Just a big brawl, which WCW should win since they have 43 more wrestlers than the NWO does. Barely. 
They have the numbers advantage. Yes, yes, they have the numbers advantage. But and eventually they do clear the ring. And they they stand strong, and this is the big riot that they've been talking about, which is just some wrestlers fighting in a ring. But whatever. Uh, the last, my last note about this, and then I think in, once you add whatever it is you'd like to add, the last thing time we'll talk about Hogan Sting in this show is that Scott Hall goes in there and he's like the last NWO guy to get beat up, and he gets like ten punch, and he sells like a champ. The only guy to really sell, he sells like he's been hit, he's been shot by a gun and he is the best just the absolute best on this episode might be your thunder mvp i i think he's our thunder mvp i mean because they stole one from chris adams he's our thunder mvp chris was chris involved in this uh you right you know what that's a good question i don't think so i think that they were saving him for thunder <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough <laughs> Uh, they were saving him for thunder. <laughs> we, we can't jeopardize our Chris Adams match. Right, right. Yep, we can't, we can't, we can't mess up our opening match of the biggest show in the history of our sport, fans. <sighs> so, I guess actually, we this isn't that can't be the last thing because we have to talk about the next segment, which is Mike Tenay and JJ Dillon having the big interview in the ring. So J.D. Dillon has to kind of act like there's something wrong with the three count, but he knows that there's nothing wrong. So he has to say things. Yeah. He has to say things like everybody's watched it backwards and forwards and you have to make your own judgment, which is the (laughs) dumbest thing. So he says, Hulk Hogan, come out here. And Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff take 45 minutes to come to the ring, and they show that whole dang thing again. And, of course, Hogan's story is everything is fine. I won. You can see it because that's what happened. <laughs> Kevin Nash is with him? Oh, that's right. Kevin Nash is out there, too. That's the, He is out there. He didn't do anything, so I didn't even note him, but he is out there, too. Oh. Well, I noted him. <laughs> and, and let me tell you why. Oh, okay. <laughs> because I have a lovely note here says that Kevin Nash wipes his nose and pretends to blow boogers over J.J. Dillon after the whole interview. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> that is worth a note. Thank you for keeping track of that. I missed that totally. <sighs> so they have to act like there was something to see out of any of that footage. <laughs> And the only thing, the only actual thing that was worth note, the only thing that could make it of any question is Hogan pulling the unicorn onesie, which is never noted. That's true. (laughs) But does that mean that JJ did not watch the world exclusive footage that we just saw? (laughs) I mean, we've been, this whole show has been, this Everything that WCW's been doing since Starcade was based around seeing that footage, but no, he probably didn't. Oh my god, the footage doesn't come into play at all. What? No, it actually doesn't come into play at all. It's just hit me. I can't believe it. We spent this. We this is like the MacGuffin of all MacGuffins, except we see it and realize it doesn't matter. Oh my god, I can't. So JJ Dillon, second, sorry, this is the second brain melting thing from this one thunder. Yeah, yeah, just it's it's insane. It's insane oh, because they had this whole thing set up so well. And the funny thing is the whole lead up to fake Sting and Sting becoming the crow and going away was brilliant. It was amazing how the way they told that whole story. And then once they had the, once they were wide open to the touchdown, they tripped over their own feet 50 times. Yes. So JJ Dillon, again, the greatest heel manager maybe of all time, has to give us some legalese to tell us that no one is the champion. <laughs> That's satisfying. So he tells Sting, you got to give up the title, and T- Sting throws it to the ground, and the announcers are just, what? 
he, did you see that? He, oh my gosh, like he was dropping a baby. So Sting, who remind, remember, is in the absolute position of being 100% wrong in this situation, <laughs> says to J.J. Dillon, you got no guts. And then I think he tells Hogan, you're a dead man. And that was maybe like the third time he's spoken since he's been the crow. And what happens next? I believe they go to commercial. That's right. <laughs> Remember, this is the culmination of the biggest story around the biggest match, and they treated it like Hooventude trying to celebrate with the Cruiserweight Championship. But this is both the last time we get to see J.J. Dillon. However, it is not the last time we get to see Hollywood Hogan. <laughs> which we have seen seven times in this show already. Kind of give the people what they want. <laughs> so, Support Excalibur. We go to our main event and a final match of the evening. We made it. Which is Kevin Nash facing the U.S. champion, Diamond Dallas Page, for the U.S. title. Now, remember, Kevin Nash's last match was his no-show against the giant on Starcade, and now he's facing the fighting for the U.S. title. He earned that one. He he earned it. But the NWO just got some title matches this show, so I guess that is what it is. So Hogan comes out with Nash because we can't have this show without there being a possibility. I'm not saying whether there is or not, but a possibility of some NWO shenanigans. Right, can I just take a another note here? Yes. I'd like to ask you, prior to the commercial, who was in the ring? So there was Sting, Hogan Nash, Bischoff, JJ Dillon. Was Savage there? I don't think Ooh. so. I think so. But you got the, the main ones. Yes. So my question to you is. For the, the match immediately fall. I just realized what you're saying. <laughs> so they all had to go to the back. They had to reset the giant thunder doors on the stage. <laughs> so all those rocks had to move. Had to be remolded so that two of them could come back out again <laughs> for the title match. For their full entrance again. <laughs> Uh, yes <laughs> so, so that's good because they had the time to waste that's good that you noted that because Tony says we're not going anywhere fans we have all the time we need for this match I'm sorry for laughing I believe you Tony <laughs> thank you Tony we need that reassurance so one of the things I noticed, and this happened through the show, but I noted it here, is they made a, they did a lot of close shots of guys in the corner where you can see them communicating with each other. And I don't know why you do those shots. I mean, I guess you can pretend they're smack talking. Yes, the taunting, so they're saying uh, you don't have more than five moves. Yeah, yes, yes. So, uh, Diamond Dallas Page plays the face in peril the mostly the entire match, which is what they did with Diamond Dallas Page matches because he was such a kind of underdog guy. He was still a little on the heel side, I believe, still. Maybe not. Maybe he just turned the corner um, there because he was in the will he, won't he. Side, but he so but he played a fine face in peril. He just was getting beat up, and the fans were into it, uh, which was great. It was a good match for the story, at, at least to most of it. So, I wrote my I wrote my notes in real time, and so my note at this point says, "Why does Hogan need to be out there?" Question mark. 
my next note is, oh, to save Nash from the diamond cutter. <laughs> Logical booking. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, it's not Chekhov's gun. It is Chekhov's gun. If you're going to show a Hogan, Chekhov's gun. Yeah. then you've you got to show, show it firing. We've seen Hogan firing. So Hogan saves Nash for the cutter and, and interferes in the match. And so when he interferes from the match, that's when Tony says, okay, now we're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> But they're Sounds building. Like, oh, we're desperately out of time here. That's right. But they're building up to this confrontation, and they're like, "We're gonna stay as long as we can." But I got told we gotta go. We got like thirty seconds. We got fifteen seconds, and nothing really is happening until finally, God bless us, the credit pop up comes up, and this show is over. Well, you really skimmed over the giant Kevin Nash face off there. You did oh. not care about that at all. You know what? I did. I didn't note it at all. I totally forgot that that's right. That's the real thing that they were trying to, to just for is that the giant, after the interference, comes wandering out in slow as heck motion with no urgency whatsoever. This man is not in communication with TBS executives. <laughs> because the U.S. title match was used as a setup for the rematch no-show of the Giant versus Kevin Nash. Stakes are so high. Oh, thank you for remembering that, because I, now that now that you said something, I remember it. But I didn't, when I rewatched this and I saw Hogan interfere, I was like, oh yeah, that's it, I'm done. I'm done watching <laughs> this again. That's how this ends. But no, it does end with Kevin Nash and the Giant. I think they just start getting back to having blows. They just start fighting. And like Hogan's in there to try to break it up or something. And that's when they're like, now we got to go. Another exciting thunder finish. <laughs> and then, thank heavens, the show is over. So, Steve, uh. you have survived the first thunder. Do you have any... Closing th closing thoughts about Thunder Number One. Well, surviving is the right word. I honestly didn't mind any of the matches when we got them, and I think in isolation the recaps are helpful. But it was just so much. So much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I 100% agree with that. But you could have done, like, there's no need to have shown that entire Eric Bischoff match, unless maybe they had travel problems or they couldn't get all the wrestlers there. You have a roster of like 60 wrestlers. You could have had so many matches on this show. <laughs> this would have been a good two hour show. Oh, man. Yes. Because I'm sure if we added up, there's at least an hour of filler. Oh, yeah, at least. Like, the matches and, probably took up an hour and a half, if even that much. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I agree with you. I think it, it wasn't... Had I just been watching this show to move on to the next Thunder, I would have been like, huh. But watching the show to talk about it afterwards, I'm like, this show is the longest show in the history of the universe. Why in the world are we seeing these entire matches? But then we have like not a finish Nash and DDP, not a finish Luger and Norton. It was just strange. It was strange. But there was good matches on the show. Even the story, except for the fact that how bad the story was done, because Hogan and Nash was or Hogan and Sting was such a big deal, being able to re-see it on free television, not a bad gimmick. Yeah, that's a, that's a big deal. Yeah, not a bad gimmick. Just was just really just the Starcade and Nitro story was just so poor that that's the real problem with all the replays. You know? I mean, they had a chance to a do-over on the Nitro. Yeah. Yeah, and Which is officially the first of the second Nitros recapped in one show. <laughs> that's, that's right. And he couldn't do it. You couldn't figure it out. <laughs> we did it, gang. Wow. Amazing. 
Okay. Yeah, those are the end of my thoughts. I, I can't. I, I mean, it's done. It's done. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. So let's wrap this show up in a nice little bow. Let us have, I might, you, you know, folks watching this, you might get a cool little sound in this section to introduce our official Hall of Fame. You might not because this has already been long enough. <laughs> so, Steve, you are my wonderful guest. You would get the honor of introducing our first ever, I don't want to say person, because it doesn't have to be a wrestler if you don't want it to be, first ever person to put in our official Hall of Fame, please. That's well, a nice curveball you threw at the end there, which was not discussed before. No, no, I, w- I want it uh, right off the dome. I want it like, boom, I want you to just give it to me, man. I don't know. Not think of all the billions of people on Earth, not just wrestlers. Thanks. Yeah. Anyway, Thanks I back. mean, if you want that that blow up doll that Kenny Omega wrestled that one time, or that not Abushi wrestled, then you can have it be that. Whatever you want, man. I would like this Hall of Fame to have some credibility and legitimacy. Okay, that's fair. That's why I'm letting you, you go first you, to set the tone. When people go to Utah and visit the building read the plaques I mean, it's got to make some kind of sense that's, that's fair that's fair so my first inductee you did in fact spoil it in, in part one <laughs> but it was an obvious choice yeah yeah it is Brett Hitman Hart as a referee <laughs> you know what that's great because I, I I'm looking forward to him being in potentially in multiple ways but referee Bret Hart number one I love it I absolutely 100% love it that is a great choice need I say more no I, I think I think we have said it <laughs> so for my selection I think that this show has made it pretty obvious who I need to pick and that in a, both a serious and lev- levitatious manner, is Scott Hall, who literally is the only one really of this whole show that gave and took and was actually the useful part of this whole cornucopia of magic that they drew through this whole thing. Scott Hall, who also probably is, is really actually worthy of being in any Hall of Fame. But Scott Hall, from all of the clips and shows of Nitro Number 1 specifically, that Scott Hall by himself deserves to be in our Hall of Fame. No argument here. (laughs) All right. Well, we did it, man. We got through the first Thunder. We might do another thunder or maybe we'll talk about doing maybe some short things in between doing another thunder just that we can talk about wrestling maybe i'll start watching current wrestling again we can talk about that who knows we'll talk about it oh wow that's oh now i I don't want to discourage anyone from watching wrestling but Ooh, you, you might have to think about that. That's a good point. You know what? Maybe we'll maybe we'll keep doing thunders until we get through COVID television when we have fans back in the arena. That that's already much better. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good idea. So maybe that's what we'll do. We'll do. Um, we'll just keep rolling with thunder, and it might just we might just do them in two parts again. I think that's fun. It's good. It gives you something to listen to while you're, you know, watching bad wrestling. You can watch this great wrestling and listen to us. Wait, at which point does the great wrestling come in? Um, Hey, I'm sorry, everybody. We're out of time. Thanks for listening. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) 